Time now for Rocky Jordan. Every once in a while, a dame walks into your life. You never know when she's going to show or how, but all of a sudden, she's there. And that life of yours that went so straight before begins to wheel and turn like a racing car with a bad tire. Well, one moved into my life not so long ago. She brought with her a nice pair of legs and warm lips and dark eyes that held a story. But she brought something else. A couple of dead men. Not far from the Mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Café Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, clouded with the smoke of oriental tobaccos, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, gateway to the ancient East, where adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's story, Escapade with Paula. It was a hot night. The desert air had moved in on Cairo and hung heavily over the city like garlic over a chef's salad. The fans were working hard trying to throw a breeze, but getting nothing. A couple of people were working on cold beer, and a red-headed member of His Majesty's Navy sat in the corner up to his eyeballs in hard liquor. He'd wandered in looking for salt water and got into a mix-up with a bottle of gin. By 1.30, all the customers had gone except the sailor. I decided to throw an early latch on the front door. So I had Chris help me lift him and walk him out. All right, Chris, easy with him. Yeah. Uh, Come on, Red, wake up time. Rock, I want you to know this is the best brewing cafe in the world. Yeah, sure. I've seen them all. Hong Kong, Calcutta, my son. This is the best brewing cafe in the world. Now walk him down the street a little, Chris, till he gets his underpinning. All right, Rocky. And go on home. I'll lock up. All right. Come on, Red. I saw Rocky. I'll see you in the I went up the flight of stairs leading to my room just off a balcony overlooking the main floor. When I opened my door, I saw her. She was standing by the window looking out onto the Cairo street. She was tall and a little too thin. She turned when she heard me come in, and the light from the street lamps caught her face. It was white, accented by a pair of dark eyes, and topped off with a flock of black hair. It figured she'd make someone a swell birthday present. Mr. Jordan? What's the matter, lady? Get lost? I've been waiting for you. Well, you got the wrong place. The Café Tambourine? That's downstairs. I thought it would be better up here. I don't remember giving out with an invite. You did not? Maybe you better pick up your heels and move out the way you come in. Mr. Jordan, I came up here earlier in the evening when no one was looking. I've been waiting for you ever since. The least you could do is listen to me. Yeah, all right. Who are you? May I have a cigarette first? Sure. Thank you. All right, let's have it. My name is Paula Dupre. I'm new to Cairo. Well, lots of people are. I've come here for something important. Everybody comes to Cairo for something important, or else to get away from something important. I'm looking for somebody. There's nobody here. He's my husband. 
What's the matter? You walk out one day for a loaf of bread? Something like that. He disappeared a little while ago. Well, why come to me? Because they say you know Cairo like nobody else. The police station is close. They're not interested. Well, there's always your consul. They are not interested either. Well, what makes you think I'd be? I think I can make you interested. Uh, how? I pay if you help me to find him. How much? Twenty pounds. You see my face lighting up? I'll double it. No sale. How much do you want? Sorry, lady, I'm not missing persons. Mr. Jordan, I've got to have somebody's help. You are the Who'd only Who'd you talk to at police headquarters? Well, I... What about the consul? Well, you see... All right. I did not go to them. I could not. I have to find him this way. Why? I cannot tell you. Now, what say you go now, Mr. Prey? All right. Mr. Jordan, I won't beg. But I'm at the Hotel Sinbad. You may change your mind. Well, maybe, if you learn how to tell the truth. Goodbye. Oh, just a minute, lady. You always carry a gun? What do you mean? Next time, don't put it in a cloth bag. It shows. I walked her downstairs and opened the front door. She started down the street with a slow, easy walk. I looked after her, trying to figure it. That's when I saw something else. A black Fiat pulled away from the curb and started after her. She turned the corner and so did the Fiat. And I knew right then and there that wasn't the last I was to see of Paula Dupre. Chapter 2 came the next morning. I was on my way to Sharia El Alfi to check on a consignment of Turkish liquor. The street was fairly crowded, and at first I didn't see the two men sidle up to me. But when I saw the flash of sunlight reflecting off a piece of steel, I knew I had company. To the right of me walked a small Egyptian with a nose like a bent cruller carrying a shiv. On the other side stood a tall Arab wearing a pointed black beard and a banoose. He figured to be top man because he did the talking. Good afternoon, Mr. Jordan. It was until you showed. Please, step into this archway, Effendi. We have something to talk about. You're making a mistake, buddy. Our interests are different, Mr. Jordan. Perhaps you did not see Hasim's knife in Tafaimni. Van Marid. Yeah, I saw it. Now, let us step off the sidewalk so we do not disturb the people. All right, buddy, what are you selling? Wisdom, Effendi. You got the wrong boy. I wouldn't know what to do with it. A young lady came to see you last night. So you peek over transoms. She was a very lovely young lady from France. Well, don't get jealous. She doesn't mean anything to me. She is looking for someone in Cairo and wishes you to help her find that person. Do you drive a black Fiat that follows girls at night? Hasim and I both wish that you do not join her in the search. Want to tell me why? Hasim and I also suggest that there are many other girls in Cairo. You do not have to see this one again. Well, that's a lot of advice, Buster. What if I don't take it? Then I shall be impelled to call upon Hasim and his knife... <laughs> And you will take the place of that wooden post, Effendi. They left the knife sticking in the post, and then they were gone. Well, that was okay with me. I went back to the tambourine. Sam Sabaya, captain of the Cairo police, was waiting for me. His horn-rimmed glasses had slipped down on his perspiring nose. Sit down, Jordan. I've been waiting for you. Oh, thanks, Sam. What are we having? This is an official visit, Jordan. It concerns this slip of paper. A name and address written in pencil. Look at it. Okay. 
<laughs> the heat getting you, Sam? Jordan, may I repeat? It's my name and my address. You came here to show me that. This slip of paper was found in the purse of a young lady, Jordan. Rather tall, slim, dark hair and eyes. Was that a crime? Please, allow me to continue. This lady was discovered this morning lying unconscious in an alley of the Sharia Bengen. Her name is Paula Dupre. You know her, Jordan? Maybe. Then perhaps you can suggest why anyone might wish to knock her out. Why don't you ask her? Unfortunately, she was unwilling to tell us anything. What do you know about her, Jordan? Oh, very little. I never saw her before last night. She came to me with some sort of pitch about helping her find somebody. One moment. Find who, Jordan? I didn't ask. I just said no dice and showed her out quick. Mm. She was alone? Yeah. Uh, where is she now? At her hotel. Well, perhaps now she will know better than to wander the native quarters of Cairo. Sam walked out, and as his limousine pulled away from the curb, another car took its place. A little black Italian Fiat. Exactly like the one I'd seen following Paula Dupre down the street the night before. A short, fat man wearing a beret got out, mopped his brow with a silk handkerchief, and came in. Uh, they're warm, is it not, monsieur? Uh, sells a lot of beer. Yes, yes. Which reminds me that I am thirsty. But perhaps something a little stronger than beer. Uh, we got it. Yeah, set you up. What'll it be? What does this stranger know about drinking in the tambourine? You make the choice, monsieur. Okay. Is this the uh, first trip to Cairo? Uh, for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Business? Yes, you might call it that. Yeah, try that. Mm, a pleasure. Mm. Ah, excellent, mon ami. Ah, life for you, monsieur, must be quite simple. You have a nice cafe, and all you must do is see to it that it is in order. Sure, sure. It is the people who stray from the simple ways who are unhappy. N'est-ce pas? What are you getting at? I'm trying to tell you in my clumsy way, mon ami, that you should confine all of your activities to the cafe business. <sighs> A most delicious drink. What do you put in it? Portuguese rum and coconut juice. I will remember that. Now it's my turn for the questions. At your service, monsieur. Why are you following Paula Dupre? Hmm. Why does any man follow a pretty girl? Somebody followed her to Slugger. Say something about that. Je dis facile de salaire. Why? Suddenly, I have lost command of the English language. Bonjour, mon Now, Colonel Ward. A little more information from you, if you don't mind. Certainly, my dear sir. What is it you wish to know? Uh, first of all, I want you to describe to me exactly how you found Mrs. Lloyd's body. She was lying on her back on the veranda of the summer house in a pool of blood. Her dress was torn, and a pocket in it had been ripped completely away. As though someone had been searching for valuables? Precisely. Carry on, please. There were two bullet wounds, one on either side of the head. In addition to this, the back of her skull had been battered. There was no sign of a weapon, of course. None. No possibility of suicide, then? Absolutely not. She was murdered. Most brutally, too. And this skull injury, have the doctors any theory about that? Yes. One thinks it may have been caused by a blow from a heavy stick. And the other? He believes it was caused when she fell and struck her head on the veranda. However, as both agree it was the bullet wounds that killed her, their points rather immaterial, don't you think? My dear Colonel, in a murder investigation, no points immaterial. Now... 
I presume everything possible has been done to track down the murderer. Yes, certainly. And is still being done. The whole area hereabouts in a radius of six miles is being thoroughly combed. A close watch for suspicious characters is being kept on all roads and paths. The police have orders to stop everyone they see and require them to give an account of their movements. Every householder living in the area has been questioned. So far with no results? I'm afraid not. Begins to look as though whoever did the job made a clean getaway. He left no tracks at all. None that we've been able to find. Then to all intents and purposes, you're still completely in the dark about the whole thing. Yes. My personal opinion is that the criminal was a hot picker, or at any rate a tramp or a gypsy. Kent's always inundated with odd characters at this time of the year. Right. Still, that is only your opinion. I mean, you've no evidence to support it. Mm, no, no. It's just a reasonable assumption. I'm afraid we've little use for assumptions in our business, Colonel. We prefer to deal with facts. Now, there's one more point. Have the doctors any idea of when the murder took place? They estimate between 3 and 3.30. You receive no outside confirmation of this, of course. As a matter of fact, we have. Mrs. Wickham, the coachman's wife, says she heard two shots about quarter past three. Did it occur to her to investigate them? Apparently not. Why not? She thought it was a nearby farmer, a man called Kettle, shooting at sparrows. He often does, I understand. Perhaps it was Kettle, or someone else similarly engaged. Perhaps the shots Mrs. Wickham heard weren't those that killed Mrs. Lord at all. That's possible, isn't it? Yes. Yes, I suppose so. And since the doctor's estimate of the time of death can never be any more than an intelligent guess, it's possible... I don't say probable, but it's possible that Mrs. Luard might not have been killed much before, well, for instance, four o'clock. It could be, I suppose. All the same, Inspector, you, you don't suggest for a minute... My dear fellow, I suggest nothing. All I'm trying to do in my own humble way is to arrive at the facts. Facts. How does Scotland Yard proceed to sift through this mass of rumor, false confessions and gossip to secure the facts about death in the wood. The murder of Mrs. Luard was treated by the London newspapers as a first-class sensation. And when the inquest opened at Item Knoll two days later, swarms of reporters and photographers invaded the place demanding admission. Most of them were refused. At the end of a long day sitting, it was obvious that the police had made little progress in solving the mystery. As no further witnesses appear to be forthcoming, and as the evidence we have heard to date has given us no hint whatever as to the identity of the person who committed this brutal crime, we can only trust that further police inquiries will yield more tangible results. I have no option, therefore, but to adjourn this inquest to a date to be fixed. All right, I'll give you a hand. I'll pay you whatever you ask. Within reason, of course. Oh, we'll talk about that later. I'll give you a picture of him. Okay. Mr. Jordan. Hmm? It is almost supper time. We could have it here. I'll make some sandwiches and we open a bottle of wine, huh? All right, lady. You got yourself a boy. In a little while, I was calling her Paula, and she had dropped the Mr. Jordan. She spread a table by a big window overlooking the Nile. 
She brought out some sliced chicken and meats and found a couple of candlesticks someplace and put a fire to them. Then she cracked open a bottle of Chablis and we made an evening of it. We watched the lights come on along the Nile and the band of river got blacker and blacker as the night wore on. She told me all about herself, about the French town where she was born and about her family. She didn't say anything about her husband, Michelle, and I didn't press it. Then the lights along the Nile started to go out and it was time to go. Thank you, Rocky. For what? I enjoyed this evening very much. Did you? Yeah, it beats spending it at the tambourine. <laughs> From you, I take that as a compliment. Tomorrow, then? Tomorrow. Good night, Rocky. Good night, Paula. Rocky. Yeah? Aren't you going to kiss me good night? Shots came flying in out of the hall. They missed and went through the window. I rolled Paula to the floor. A second went by and I heard footsteps running down the hall. I looked. There was nothing. Then I went to the window and I got there just in time to see the black Fiat pull away from the curb and barrel down the street. You are listening to Escapade with Paula, tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Monday night at 6, CBS Radio Theater will present The Velvet Touch, starring Rosalind Russell and Sidney Greenstreet. Don't miss this hour-long version of The Velvet Touch at 6, Monday night. And after Radio Theater, you'll want to laugh with my friend Irma. But more about that later. We take you back to Cairo and tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan... Escapade with Paula. It all began when a girl named Paula Dupre asked me to find her husband. Then a tall Egyptian with a hawk-nosed sidekick and a puffy Frenchman moved in to warn me off. Paula proved a little more intriguing than the scare boys, but when the shots began to fly, she caught a slight case of the shakes. I knew the Hotel Sinbad wasn't the place for her, so I found her some rooms at the Continental and moved out to do a little searching. The Sharia Ben Gen address Paul had given me turned out to be an Egyptian flophouse, a pile of wood so old the termites had given it up. Cleopatra's grandmother was the reception committee. We have many rooms left, Effendi. I'm not looking for a room. We have whatever you are looking for, Effendi. Information. For money, you may have anything. That is the way of the world. A Frenchman named Michel Dupre lived here once. He may have changed his name. Many Frenchmen live here, Effendi, and they all change their names. That is the way of the world. Oh, here, here's his picture. Ah, a fine-looking man. A rich man, yes? There is a big reward if you find him, and you are willing to pay much for information. Five pounds. Ah, but it is the luck of this old woman to know nothing of the Frenchman. All right, I'll make it ten pounds. My luck is getting worse. I have a one-eyed Greek. Perhaps we could pass him off as the Frenchman. Ah, uh, no deal. What do you know about a big Egyptian who walks around with a buddy who's got a nose like a bend in the Nile? I do not know such a man. The ten pounds will buy a lot of kush-kush. Go. Go away. Now, my name's Rocky Jordan. You can find me at the Cafe Tambourine when you change your mind. Imshe! Imshe! But, uh, he went out about half an hour ago. Out? Where to? He said he was going for a stroll in the ground, sir. He knew breakfast was at 8.45, didn't he? He said I'd remind him. He said he'd be back in time. 
Well, I don't see any sign of him. You'd better send one of the servants out after him. Very good, sir. General Luard was not to be found on the grounds, nor anywhere else in the vicinity. Fifteen minutes later, a train from Maidstone that passed the test and level crossing at 9 a.m. was approaching this point. The driver, looking ahead, saw an elderly man on the footpath by the railway line. Your distance, Grandpa, or we'll be singeing your whiskers. Hey, hey, look out! The silly old coot's walking onto the line. Here, put on them brakes. news from a local policeman. Shockingly mangled he was, sir. You might well imagine. I don't suppose there's any doubt in the world it was General Luard. No, sir. There was his initials on Act Chief and the driver's description of him. And this, sir. We found it in his pocket. A letter? For me? Yes, sir. My dear Ward, I'm sorry to have to return your kindness in this way, but I'm satisfied it's best to join her in the second life at once. I can be of no further use to anyone in this world of which I am tired, and I do not wish to live any longer. I thought that my strength was sufficient to bear up against the horrible imputations and terrible letters which I have received. Now, however, in the last day or two, something seems to have snapped. My strength has left, and I care for nothing except to join her again. So goodbye, dear friend, to both of us. P.S. I shall be somewhere on the railway line. Mm. It's a bad business, sir. It'll be a very bad business for some letter writers if ever I get my hands on them. An inquest on General Lord's death was held the following day. None of the facts were in dispute, and keeping up that old legal fiction that no man in possession of his senses would knowingly take his own life, the jury returned a verdict of suicide while temporarily insane. Four days after that, the adjourned inquest of Mrs. Lord's murder was resumed. And when what little new evidence there was had been given, the coroner summed up. This case with which we've dealt today is without doubt one of the most mysterious and horrible crimes on record. It was most cunningly conceived and most daringly carried out. And nothing has transpired that points to the direction in which the perpetrator is to be found. In the circumstances, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, there is only one verdict which you can return. Willful murder by some person or person unknown. And there it ended, and still ends. For to this day, the mystery of the death of Caroline Erinor remains unsolved, and probably will remain so for all time.
guaranteed to teach you the latest South American dances in ten lessons, or we refund your money. I'll buy that, Miss Ortega. There's something about... That she killed Duval so that she alone could find the missing man? Like I said, anything was possible. But this fogging on Duval was a new wrinkle. Well, I knew if I could turn up those two boys in Bernouces, they could supply a lot of answers. But finding them in Cairo was as easy as turning up a penguin in the Sahara. I went home and slept for a couple of hours, shaved and threw on a clean suit of clothes. I picked Paula up in the late afternoon and showed her Cairo. I waited, but she didn't say anything about Duval's murder. Toward evening, we found ourselves in a little cafe off the bazaar. What is this place called? Oh, the uh, Dibban. It means the flies. <laughs> sure full of them. Oh, I think it is very nice. Yeah? Oh, I've had a grand time today, Rocky. I could stay in Cairo forever. Some people do. What does that mean? Duval's not leaving. Who is he? The man in the black fiat. He was with the French government. He was looking for Michelle, too. Oh. Somebody killed him. You know anything about it, Paula? No. Sabaya thinks you might have done it. And what do you think? I don't know. You still don't trust me, do you? It's usually easier not to trust a person. But you want to trust me? Isn't that it, Rocky? Something like that. Buy me a drink. Just a minute, Paula. We thought Duval was the one who shot at us up at the Sinbad, but it wasn't. It was somebody else. Like who? One of those two crummy Egyptians who bumped me on the street or your husband. Why would Michelle shoot at me or you? You tell me. I do not know. Maybe he doesn't want to be found. You ever think of that? Yes, yes. Sometimes I even wish there were no such men. Yet you still want to find him. I have to. Why? One looks for one's husband. You tried that out on me before. It doesn't have much power. What's the real reason? I can't tell you now. When can you? When we find him. All right, Paula. I'll hold you to it. Pardon me, Effendi. But does the gentleman remember a poor old lady who runs a boarding house on Shari Bengen? A poor old lady whose luck was so bad that even for money, she did not know a Frenchman who disappeared. Who is she, Rocky? Just a minute, Paula. Has your luck changed, Grandma? I have been thinking over the ways of the world. I cannot give you the Frenchman, but for money, I can take you to that tall Egyptian with the pointed beard you are looking for. The ten pounds still hold. But, Defendi, the ways of the world are more expensive. Twenty pounds. I pay it, Rocky. Okay. Come then, Effendi. I shall take you to him. I want to go with you, Rocky. Go on back to the tambourine and wait for me. I'll bring him to you. But, Rocky, I want Come to... on, old woman. Let's find our friend. The old woman led me through the bazaar, then away from the crowds down the winding Sharia Namus. Just where it turned down toward the river, we went into a decaying brownstone house, up a flight of stairs and down the dingy hallway. Then she suddenly stopped, pointed to a door. Ran away fast. I raised my hand to knock, then changed my mind and kicked the door open. Huh? What is this? He was there, Shabbat, the big native with the long burnous and the pointed black beard. He was just shutting a drawer. Rocky George. Hello, Shabbat. How did you find me? Usual way. Ah, quite a hangout you got here. I do not know why you came here, but I warn you again, Jordan. Did you warn Henri Duval before you killed him in the desert? This affair is not for you, Jordan. You told me that. Now tell me what's between you and Paula Dupre. Get out of here quickly. Keep out of the drawer, Jordan. Whiskey, Shabbat. Well, what's a believer like you doing with alcohol? Oh, uh, you've lived too long. 
I wasn't set for a swing in the bottle and I went down. You don't expect an Egyptian to use his fist, but ah. shot him, used him well. I found that out when I came up from the floor. Oh. I bounded back and drove for his stomach. Ah. Then I went to work in his face. His beard was turning a bright pink when a wild swing caught me flat on the jaw. Before I could shake out the cobwebs, he was on top of me. I yanked his burnoose tight around his neck, but his knee came up and everything gave way. We were back on our feet again, slugging it out. Another one in the stomach loosened him up, and then I hit him with all I had. He sprawled back over the table and onto the floor. This time he didn't get up. No, Jordan. Then it's enough. This is where we begin, Shabbat. Come on, get up. What do you want? We're taking a walk to the Cafe Tambourine. Fifteen minutes later, we slammed in the alley door of the tambourine. Paula Dupre was waiting. I pushed him and he slumped into a chair. Here he is, Paula. Who is he? Don't you recognize him? He calls himself Shabbat, but he's no more Egyptian than I am. Uses his fist too well. Michel. Oui. That's right, Paula. He went native, but he forgot a believer doesn't drink alcohol. I said I would find you, Michel. You needed help. Your friend has brought me here, what now? I'm going to pay you what I owe don't you. Put that away. Paula, you don't know how to use that. Paula! Her gun spit and three slugs plowed their way through Michelle. He lurched forward, grabbed a chair, then toppled over like a tent in a windstorm. He was dead by the time he hit my rug. And Paula stood over him with a smoking gun in her hand, and her face looked like she was going to break out crying. listening to Escapade with Paula, tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. After Radio Theater, Monday night at 6, My Friend Irma brings you a new, fresh comedy approach. You'll pity Irma, who gets dumber and funnier each week. You'll sympathize with Jane Stacy, Irma's roommate. My Friend Irma is an hilarious show. Don't miss it. Monday night, following Radio Theater at 7. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan, Escapade with Paula. Put the sucker tag on me. And, uh, can I go now? Not yet. Ronaldo, I'd like you to tell me all you know about the late Senorita Ortega and who might have killed her. Uh, look, Vance, I'm a dancer, not a detective. But Rosita did have something off the record going on with a guy named Cummings, Jack Cummings. He was married, and he wrote us some letters. That sounds like something, Vance. Yes, it does. Where did the senorita keep those letters, do you know? I should know. I saw her looking at them only last week. I got an idea that was one of the reasons I was fired. They're right in that desk Mr. Markham's sitting at. Middle drawer. Yeah, it's locked. Well, that shouldn't be entirely unexpected. That paper knife ought to be capable of prying the drawer open. Set it right in the center, Markham. Right. <sighs> well? No, no letters. Nothing that even looks like a letter. Really? It's like I told you then. Cummings killed Rosita for those letters. That sounds logical. And very pat. Where were you at midnight last night, Ronaldo? Midnight? I can tell you. 
I won a rumba contest over at the Shadowland Dance Palace a little after midnight. I was there all night. Mary Morgan, she's my dancing partner. Maybe we're going to do an act together. I'd like to know a little more about this Cummings man you mentioned, Ronaldo. What's his first name? As far as I know, it was Jack. He took lessons from Rosita. You know the name, Vance? Jack Cummings. No, no, I don't think I do. There is a quite wealthy merchant in this city named John H. Cummings. Ronaldo, was Cummings rather big, about 45, gray hair parted on the side? That's about right. You do know him then, Vance? Yes, I know of him, that is. I attended an exhibition of his wood carvings about a year ago. Wood carving's his hobby. He's quite good at it, too, as I remember. Vance, listen, the Ortega girl was killed by a knife. Cummings carves wood as a pastime. Certainly. And they had a motive. Those letters. If I know Rosita, she was using those letters, too. It adds up, Vance. I'm going to have Heath pick up Cummings at once. What we found out this morning practically proves it was he that killed Rosita Ortega. Does it, Markham? Personally, I'm of the opinion that what we found practically proves that he didn't. This is District Attorney Markham. The Rumba murder case began when Rosita Ortega, dance instructress, was found knifed. Vance's suspects include a Spanish teacher, Margaret Stone, a dancer named Ronaldo Alvarez, whom the senorita had discharged, and Jack Cummings, merchant and amateur woodcarver, who, we have reason to believe, was being blackmailed by Senorita Ortega. Ronaldo has told us that he had been at the Shadowland Dance Hall the entire evening previous, dancing with a hostess there named Mary Morgan. And I know that Vance checked the dance hall, found out her apartment address, and is there with her right now. I'd like you to know something, Miss Morgan. This is the first time I've ever been in the apartment of a dance hostess. Oh, gee, high-sounding name, Mr. Vance. I'm a taxi dancer. You sure you don't mind that record playing? I like music. It relaxes me. Oh, I don't mind at all. Mind if I ask you some questions? Go ahead, ask. First of all, these pictures of Ronaldo that are in your place here. How many of them are there? Oh, three in here and three in my bedroom. I go for that guy, Mr. Vance. He's a swell dancer. Uh, excuse me. Surely. We won a rumba contest last night at Shadowland. Did I tell you that? Not that I recall. What time was the contest held? Quarter after 12. Ronaldo and I have been practicing all night. At Shadowland? Sure, at Shadowland. Oh, it was perfectly legit. He bought tickets, the same as any customer. My knowledge of dance halls is a little limited, Miss Morgan. Tell me about Shadowland. Where till I turn off this record, huh? There. Well, Mr. Vance, there are about... 25 of us girls. They call us hostesses. We sit around till some fella comes over and asks for a dance. Some fellow? Well, sure. Fellas come up there to dance, and they buy a bunch of tickets, and they dance with us. Every time they dance, they give us a ticket. I understand. Now, you were telling me about Ronaldo. I know he won a contest with you a little after midnight. But he says he was with you all evening from 9 o'clock on. 
That's just about right, too. He got there about nine and we started dancing. He didn't miss a dance until the contest. <laughs> 